Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Light Beamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Light Beamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. Hello, 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 everyone. Hello. So happy that you're here today on the Inside Story podcast. I'm extra giggly and excited today because I have one of my favorite people sitting sort of in front of me. I mean, she's staring at me on Zoom, but she's just um, up the road in Dallas, Texas, and I'm down the road, of course, in outside of San Antonio. And um, I, every time I get to be around her, it's just it's like such a thrill. Um, it's been so fun to have her be a big part of our Light Beamers community. And today I get to celebrate her and invite her onto the podcast because just this week, I don't even have my copy yet because we are patiently waiting for her brand new book called Come Back Home to You to be released into the world. And we are, we are counting on a number one bestseller. And I wanted to time the recording of this podcast just so that we could release this episode the very same week that her book becomes available on Amazon. And I am, of course, talking about the author and the amazing woman and leader that you are, Miss Becky Burrows to the Inside Story Podcast. Welcome, Becky. Oh, it is. It is my delight to be here. As you know, as I've told you many times, not only am I a light beamer, but I am a huge fan of the Inside Story Podcast. It is what I do on Wednesday mornings as I'm getting ready for work. And so it is an honor uh, to be on here with you again. Uh, and yes, this is your about, second appearance on the podcast. It is. And to talk about this book that's coming out this week. Just a couple of days, just a few yeah. more days and it will be here. By it the is. time this podcast airs, if you're listening to the podcast, the book is out. <laughs> the book is out. We're just recording this a few days before the book comes out. Uh, but you, you are going to get to hear all about not only what the book is about, come back home to you and what inspired Becky to read, to write it, but moreover, a little bit more about Becky's author journey, because some of you may recall, Becky has been on the podcast before. Um, she is a big fixture in our Light Beamers community. Some, some of you who are plugged into our community even know who Becky is, uh, but Becky or, you know, started out writing her, her, her first foray into becoming a published author was in our book, our collaborative book called Elevate Your Voice. And Becky wrote uh, a chapter for that book and became a published author. But even before that, that was actually why I invited Becky to be a part of Elevate Your Voice was because you have told me for a couple of years, at least, you know, when I first met you and some of the things that you had on your your wish list, your dream board, things that you were aching to do. One of them was, I want to write a book. So I know 
for a fact that this particular book has been in you for a long time and it's finally being birthed. Tell us a little bit more about that desire even many years ago to to write a book. Did you know it was going to be this book and this particular topic or was it more of a generalized, I want to write a book one day? I absolutely did not know it was going to be this topic. Um, of course, I, being a voracious reader all my life, um, I knew I, I wanted to write my own book. But because for the first half of my life, all I read was fiction, I thought I would, and I have a vivid imagination, I thought I would write this great work of fiction. But like many people who dream of writing a book, I never did one thing uh, to make it happen. I was an inconsistent journaler and didn't have a discipline for writing. But when I met you three years ago and started working with you and you're all about, you know, being visible and telling your story. And I knew I had a story to tell. I didn't know how to tell it. And so I worked with you quite a bit on that. But when you invited me to become a part of Elevate Your Voice, my first question was, how do I take what for me is a great big story and squeeze it into a chapter? Yeah. And you said, you won't. You will um, tell a small story that pulls at the thread of your big story. And so that's what I did. Um, when Elevate Your Voice was published in April of 22, I knew, it, it, you know, for a lot of the women in the book, there were 14 of us. And for most of them, I would say that fulfilled their desire to be a published author. It's like, okay, I've done that. Check that off, move on to the next thing. But it lit a fire in my belly that I knew would not be extinguished until I had written my own book. Uh -huh. So I immediately contacted Lynette Pottle, who was the publisher for uh, Elevate Your Voice along with you. And I wanted to work with her because you know, if I hadn't written the book by now, what was going to be different now? Just because I had written a chapter, I still didn't really know how to discipline myself mm -hmm. around a full-time job, around a side gig as being a life and leadership coach. How and when am I going to write this book? So I, I, I agreed to work with Lynette. The very first time we sat down, she asked me to come with some ideas for books, and I had five. And this one that I ended up writing about was the last on my list. So I had all these reasons why I wanted to write these other books. And quite frankly, they would have written themselves because they were about things that I was already doing, like uh, le leadership coaching. I'm going to mm -hmm. write a book about leadership coaching. And then I would just basically write what I've been teaching. But I got to this one and I'm like, well, you know, this is the one I really want to write, but I don't think I, I need to because I don't know what I'm going to say. It's about my journey, my story. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know how to do it. And the more we worked together, I realized it's what I had to do. Yeah. It is the story I had to tell. And it was time. Uh, yeah. I mean, and I find that to be so true that I always say that about storytelling. It's like, if you will just invite the opportunity to tell your story, you don't even have to know what the story is. Sometimes you can just invite the opportunity like, okay, I I'm willing, you know, I just need to figure out what is the story I'm going to tell. What is the book I'm going to write? Right. That, that's really the first step. And then oftentimes I do, I find this both with my own practice of writing, you know, I'm writing for our third book right now. And that's been my experience with this chapter that I'm putting into our third collaborative book was, um, I sat down to write something and I thought it was going to be, I had this whole idea about what I was going to write. And then I sat down to start writing and it just felt clunky and off. It didn't feel right. And I just was like, I don't think this is it, you know? And then when I just invited, you know, really the Holy Spirit, just like, hey, 
why don't you just tell me what you want me to write? Because I'm, I've got an, I'm hitting a dead end over here. Then the other, what I'm actually writing about just flowed out of me because I just was open. I did not know I was going to write about that. Mm. So I really love the fact that you had that same experience. You had four other things that you thought, oh, these will be the easy buttons. This is what I'll write about. But it was really this fifth thing, the last thing on your list that ended up making it to the top and of course now making its way to the bookshelves. So tell us a little bit more about what is Come Back Home to You. The, you have a subtitle to it called Navigating Life's Transitions and Embracing Next Chapter Living. I know in Elevate Your Voice, your chapter inside Elevate Your Voice even talks a little bit about next chapter. I mean, you were stepping into some next chapters when you were writing about the story there. So what is Come Back Home to You? And and why was that the story that ended up coming up to the number one spot? So in Elevate Your Voice, I summarized my chapter in my head about talking about my journey with grief. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened was I went through a period in my life a few years ago where in a very short span of time, both of my parents died. Mm -hmm. My husband left our 40-year marriage my job was eliminated. I work at a church and my particular role was eliminated. And even though I was offered another one, I discovered that I had so, I had placed my entire identity in the titles I wore and the roles that I filled. So all of a sudden I was no one's daughter, no one's wife. I didn't have the same job at work. And I just, I just completely crashed. I did not know who I was. Well, at that time you, I was in a group coaching with you and um, I talked about my identity crisis and I was like, eh, you know, but this is kind of what I went through. I don't know that anybody could relate. And I remember vividly you saying everyone can relate to identity crisis. We've all had it one way or another mm -hmm. at some point in our life. And if we haven't, we, we will eventually. And so I, as I thought about, I made the commitment to Lynette. I was going to write a book. I was still toying with what I was going to write it about. And I had dinner one night with three friends. So I just asked them. I said, you know, if I were going to write a book, you know me, if I were going to write a book, what would you want it to be about? And one woman without hesitation said, I want to know how you did it. Mm -hmm. How were you so resilient? Because if my husband died or left me, I don't even know how to pay the electric bill. How did you do it? And at the time I thought, well, I don't know. And so that kind of began this whole process of reflection to go back and go, well, what did I do that made a difference? Because it, resilience was really important to me, um, taking a resilient approach, because my greatest fear, as I talk about in Elevate Your Voice, was becoming this bitter old woman whose life stopped the day her parents died and her husband walked out the door and her job changed. And I don't know who I am anymore, so I'm just going to shut down. Uh, that's easy to do. It's kind of like depression. You can just sink into it, man. And I did not want to do that. And okay. so I had to figure out a way. And so one of the things I discovered was I had a wonky relationship with grief. My whole life, I had reserved grief for death and anything short of death, I would call hmm, sadness or, you know, I've got a lot on my mind or whatever. And and I learned through what I was going through that if you will, that grief has a purpose mm -hmm. and the purpose needs to be respected and it has a process and the process needs to be followed. And if you will do the hard work of grief and, and anything that for you 
um, is grief worthy, is worthy mm -hmm. of you grieving. I mean, it's not just, you know, what we would call the big things. It's any kind of change. There's an expression with change comes loss and with loss comes grief. And so it could be a change of houses. You know, you move out of the house where you raised your kids into a new house. You still have to grieve the house you left with all the memories. Yeah. So all kinds of things can be grieved. And I had to, I had to wrap my head around that and learn how to grieve in part of all this process. So I did develop a kind of a, a, I don't want to call it a system really, but a process that I went through. I don't think it's linear. I don't think everybody has to go uh -huh. through all of the steps, but I did each chapter is a different step that I took uh -huh. thinking if this might give somebody an idea of things they might do. Um, and then I also, because I realized that sometimes as women, we compare ourselves and go, oh, well, I didn't go what you went through. So, and we kind so of, so therefore I must not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try to counteract that ahead of the game. And I'm going to interview other women yeah. who have been through their own junk. And, and I asked everybody the same question, you know, what was, you know, I asked them to tell me what was this thing you went through that you want to talk about? What was rock bottom for you? Um, what did you learn in this process? How did you grow? What mistakes do you feel like you made? What would you do differently now? And I talked to women who had been through all kinds of things from, um, you know, changes in their uh, financial situation, in their, in their marriage, to divorce and, and being widowed, to ch losing children, either in the womb or, or, or children that have been born to uh, women who have retired or health issues, all of it, and asked them all the same questions. And it was, mm -hmm. and I, I wanted to protect their identity. So I really lumped their, their answers together to where you can't tell which woman's story. I, there was one woman in particular who had some very um, uh, important reasons why it not get out that she was the one that talked sure. to me. So it was, I had that in my mind the whole time. And so it was fascinating, just different stories, different women, same things, same, same thread through everyone. Yeah. Yes. That's right. And so, it's you know, and I've, I've witnessed that too, Becky, just in, in the, in the career that I've had, you know, talking with so many people, um, you know, it's, it's almost like I, once they begin to tell me something, I, I already know where the story's going to go, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, here, oh, okay, this is that story. Because I, I, I really, this is maybe something that maybe I'll eventually put into a book myself, but I, I kind of have like seven to 10 narratives that are really out there. Like no, no story really is a new story, you know, like there's still like, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine different variations of different stories, but we all kind of fall into those categories. And so I'm really, that's really curious that you found the same to be true. Like you could interview all these different women, but find this, you know, one or two or three main undercurrents that were running through every single one of their interviews, even though their lived experiences were vastly different. You know, none of us really does walk through the same exact lived experience. We are all on our unique journey, but at the end of the day, how we experience them and how we react and respond and the, the things that it makes us feel mm -hmm. are almost universal. Yeah. And, and I think the one thing that really struck me about each of these women um, and that I could so relate to is I, I have this strong aversion to being a victim. I uh -huh. absolutely refuse 
to be the victim to any person or any circumstance. Yeah. And so it's always been important to me to approach any, whatever, whatever situation I'm in with intentionality and purpose. Yeah. And that's what I found in each one of these women. They reached a point. Yeah. We all talked about the crud we went through and the emotions we felt and how horrible it was, mm-hmm. but there comes a point and it's different for everybody when it is, but there comes a point when you say enough and you, and you start looking forward more than you're looking back and you start approaching your life with intentionality and purpose. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh Here's who I'm going to be. And it's not easy just because you've made that decision, but you are so determined to do it um, that it changes your life. Yeah. That's resilience right there. That is resilience. I mean, that is what it looks and sounds like. And so it almost, then it sounds like it is a little bit of a, here's the manual, (laughs) here's the manual. You know, there's a lot of different things that you did. There's how many total chapters are there in the book? There are 10 chapters in the book and nine of them are when I talk about what I did. Number one, chapter number one is called practice personal reflection. I am, I am really big on looking back and seeing Uh, what I learned and how I grew. I don't look back from the point of beating myself up. I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that kind of thing, but like, okay, I did that. It blew up in my face. What did I learn? How did I grow? What am I going to do differently next time? I think that is such an important uh, aspect of it because it helps reframe, begin beginning the process of reframing your thoughts. So being able to look back. And then once you do that, you've got to start looking at, okay, Um, what, what matters to me? I think, I think sometimes we neglect to identify what we value in life or we gloss over it. Oh, well, for me, it's faith, family, and friends. Yeah, that's great. It is for me too. And pretty much everybody else. But when it gets down to the core, peel those layers back and what do you really value? Well, some people really value honesty. Others value hard work. Others, you know, we have very specific values. And when I don't live into my value system, I'm discombobulated and I don't know why. And it's because I'm not living into what I value. And so, for example, I value learning. And so at any point in my life, I got to be learning something new. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to because it's something that's such a strong value in me. Whereas uh, somebody else might value, as I mentioned before, honesty. And so they've got this, you know, lie meter. They can tell when somebody's not being mm-hmm. completely honest because it's something they value. And to me, that is the, the foundation of coming to terms with who am I? What matters to me? Um, for me personally, because I'm a Christian, I, I follow Jesus. And so I had to get back to, to scripture. I had Uh to really think about, okay, God, you created me. Why, why did you think the world needed a Becky Burroughs? What is it? You gifted me in specific Uh ways. What were you hoping I would do with that? And that was really pivotal to my healing to go back to scripture, especially Psalms 139, where he Uh says, you know, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Um, you are beautifully and wonderfully made and, and, and throughout scripture where he he talks about, he counts the hairs on my head. Mm -hmm. He knows my thoughts before I think them. And I think that level of intimacy of my creator, the only way I can relate to that is the way I, as a mother felt Mm -hmm. like I knew my children. 
And so feeling that deep love uh, and, and that care and being created made me hungry for wanting to know, okay, so how can I embrace the giftedness? We don't like talking about our giftedness because it feels like bragging. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I have never, I, as I thought throughout my life about things I'm good at, I never would say that. I would call it things I love. I love to sing. I love mm -hmm. to teach. But I you would never say I'm good at it. No, never. Yeah. And yet, you know, if God has gifted me and I did nothing to earn that gift, it's just like, why is it that some people are really good at this for no, they've now been no training whatsoever, but they're just naturally good at it. Accepting that and then saying, okay, you've given me these gifts. What is it you want me to do with them? Mm -hmm. And so at this, at this uh, uh, chapter of my life, when my kids are grown and gone and I don't work in, I used to work in a school and I empowered children who had learning differences and I don't do that anymore. My passion now is empowering women. Mm -hmm. And so as I've written this book, I thought not everybody is naturally resilient. Not everybody takes a, a, a resilient approach to life just naturally. Some of us have to be taught and some of us need it modeled for us. Some of us need to know it's possible. And I thought if I could just share my story and if that could inspire one woman to think, okay, I can, I can do that. I can be more resilient in my approach. Um, then it's worth it. Yeah. It's so worth it. And I love that. Of course, you know, I'm very happy to hear that you've focused on the storytelling piece of it for your book and that you are leaning into sharing those stories. Obviously it was work that you started in the chapter that you wrote for elevate your voice and continuing it into the solo book that you're now releasing into the world, come back home to you. And the story piece is going to be the piece that I know the readers will really respond to because you do have a lot of training, education, uh, formal education around leadership and development. And, you know, even, even your works, you also work in a church, you have some ministry behind you. I mean, there's a lot that you bring to the table. And so you have a lot of education and ideas and systems and processes and, and teachings that you can share with people. And I think it's, you know, it's really easy I think for someone like you to say, okay, I'm going to write a book and I'm just going to tell everybody what they need to do because you're, even your women were like, Hey, just tell us how you got through that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> tell us how you were so resilient. And it would have been easy to say, okay, here's your chapter one, do this chapter two, do, do this chapter three, try this. Right. But it's the storytelling. It's the fact that you took so much time to not only dig out your own stories that relate to those different teachings, but that you went on that journey beforehand and did all of this research with all of these other women to glean their stories as well and infused their stories into the book. And I know as a reader, we get so much more out of it. We're still going to hear your teachings. We're still going to get those leadership principles and learn things about how to be more resilient and how to navigate, you know, life and, and, and embrace those next chapters that we have to, that we come across in our life. Cause we all are living through transitions all throughout our days. Right. And we're going to get that through the storytelling. So I love that it's so focused on the storytelling piece. And so when you think about your reader, you know, I always say number one rule of storytelling is to know who you're talking to. Who exactly did you write this book for? When you sat down to write it, who were you thinking of? So that's a great question. I was thinking about that just this morning because I talk a lot about, as I'm promoting the book, 
I talk a lot about women that mm-hmm. women, you know, can find this useful and whatnot. And I've had um, several men who have bought the, who are buying the book say, I think there's something I could learn in here too, which is true, but I know my audience, you know, on social media, 85% of the people that follow me are women. Mm-hmm. And in my coaching, 90% of the people I coach are women. Mm-hmm. So I have women on my mind um, when I, when I wrote this book, but in particular women who have lived some life. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, chapter one of our lives is when we're born. And a lot of us don't hit chapter two until we have that first milestone, that graduation from high school. Mm-hmm. Others of us have, and, and I define a major life transition as anything that you experience that for you is so significant mm-hmm. that it's changed you in some way. You're not yeah. the same anymore for having gone through that. Yeah. Well, some of us don't have, I, um, ideal childhoods. Right. And so for some of us, we, we catapult into chapter two when we have drama, uh, trauma as a child. And so um, for me, for example, uh, one of the stories I tell is, is chapter two was when I got my first job at the age of 16 and I was thrown into an adult world and was very quickly thrown into a leadership position where I was in charge of women old enough to be my grandmother. And I was 16. Makes and no so, sense. <laughs> no. Um, and so I do tell a lot of stories um, in the book because I needed to come to terms with these principles. For example, I mentioned chapter one, practice personal reflection. I had to go back and think, okay, so what, what were my parents like and how did that inform who I became and then what experiences did I have that really informed the kind of adult I became? And I had to kind of work through that. So I share a lot of that um, in the book. It was very uh, cathartic for me mm-hmm. to, to really identify, this is why I am the way I am. Uh, and yet here's how I've changed and evolved over the years as a new chapter has unfolded. But the reason I entitled the book, Come Back Home to You, and this is, this is so important, is as we go through life, first of all, you know, we're raised by whoever raises us and they so deeply influence who we are. And yet we take that, that uh, here's who I was at the age of 14 and that's the norm. And then I spend the rest of my life disproving it. So for example, the boy calls you fat when you're 14, you're now 44 and there's nothing fat about you, but you still feel fat because uh-huh. back then, you know, that kind of thing. And so, um, what happens uh, as adults when we get jobs, in particular when we get married, and the whole purpose of marriage is to become one, and there's compromising, and there's there's you, you make deals with each other, and you and you give up things for each other, and that kind of thing, is it's very easy to lose who you are. And some women have thought have actually left their marriages because they said I I don't know who I am anymore, and I feel like I have to find myself. And how tragic to leave a commitment like that because you've lost yourself Uh and you don't have to leave your job. You don't have to leave your marriage to start figuring out who am I without all of that? And am I being true to who I am? And am I, am I living into those things that I value? And very often, if you, you know, I've, I've known of people who have done that in the context of marriage and their spouse is like, whoa, who are you and what happened? And so, yes, it requires a lot of communication if you're going to all of a sudden start changing or at least as as it appears. But I think it is, it is so important to stay true to who I am, who God made me to be. How did he create me? What is my calling? What is my purpose? What is my passion and stay true to that? 
It's the only way I can really be who I am. And that's the only way I can really be content with who I am. Yeah. And find that. I think there's so many women out there who actually, you know, if you ask them, Hey, what's your, what are you called on this earth to do? Why are you here? What is your purpose? I think of, uh, I, I don't know the number. I haven't done the research, but I would be curious what that number is, but I think the number is probably higher than we want it to be. Mm-hmm. The number of women who would say, I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I am just grinding it out day by day. I am just surviving. I am just getting by. Some days I'm drowning, you know? And while we all have those, there are days that I feel like I'm drowning. Don't get me wrong. I I don't have it all figured out, but I do, I am pretty clued in as to why I am here and what God has called me to do. And I do feel like I'm waking up every day to go do it. And that feels pretty good. But I know that there are women out there that don't have that. And I also know that when you don't have it, it doesn't feel good, you know? And so that's why your book is so important because you know, maybe walking through this, 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 this manual, if you will, of like how Becky did it, you mm-hmm. know, things that were really important to, to that survival period of your life when everything did get wiped out underneath you. And you did find yourself asking, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What's my identity? If I'm not this person or that person to these other people, then who the heck am I, mm-hmm. you know, and you went through that you know, later in life, you know, you weren't in your thirties doing this, you know, you were in your sixties doing this. And so it's a big deal. And it's a really important conversation for women to be having with themselves, you know? Yeah. And I would, I've experienced just what you described women who don't have a clue, but the other thing that I've experienced is women who, and and I was guilty of this, who over-identify with their employment. Mm-hmm. I've had more than one woman tell me, oh, my purpose is, or my calling is to be a nurse yep. or to be a social worker. And then I'll say, and what will happen when you retire? What will you do then? What, what will be your calling then? Because I believe that that calling is broader and yet I may choose to live into that calling. And so for me, um, I began as a speech language pathologist and what what my calling became was advocating for kids with learning differences. I was in a setting of a private school where they're not required by state law to provide services for kids who learn differently. And so I became an advocate for those kids who could not advocate for themselves. And I did that for 25 years. Then I left that and I go into ministry. Well, if that had been my actual calling, I'd have been thrown in ministry because there was no reason, there was no connection there. I wasn't in ministry very long before I began to advocate for women whose heads were bumped against the glass ceiling in churches where they were not being allowed to live into their giftedness. Um, And I began to advocate on their behalf. So I think a broader calling for me is as an advocate for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so um, I think if we think in broader terms, we can find ways in every season of life to live into a particular calling. But if we narrow ourselves down to the only thing we know, which is what I've been employed to do up until now, then it could be very scary when you retire and you find I have no purpose anymore because I can't do that thing now that I'm retired. I think that's such a good distinction. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that is absolutely true. You know, a lot of people are truly married to their identity as you were uh, based around your job, 
you know, and also maybe who you're married to or the house you live in or the neighborhood or the car you drive or whatever. And that's not, you, you know, like just imagine for a minute, those things being taken away and then ask yourself, do you still know who you are? Mm-hmm. Do you still know what you are here to do without all of those things? And that's a, it's a tough question. I mean, that this is not something that we're glossing over as it to be just really easy. But again, as you know, from firsthand experience, if you, if you don't think about that in advance, you're going to be forced to think about it at some point. And the work then might be a little bit harder, you know, when you're having to reverse engineer to figure it out, which is what you did. Mm-hmm. And that's why the book is here, you know, come home to you so that you can really figure out what those things are for you, hopefully before, um, you know, any of those things might happen, any of those things get taken away. But if they did ever get taken away, you would be so, you would be standing on so much more solid ground and be ready and able to handle and be adaptable and be resilient, right? To be able to navigate those life's transitions and step into that next chapter so much easier than if, if you had not done that work in advance. So I just think it's such an important piece of work that you're doing. Now, listen, this is called the Inside Story podcast. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say this out loud because I happen to know I I am on the inside loop of Miss Becky Burroughs a little bit. And I happen to know that you leading up to this week of when this book is coming out, you have been knocked down literally by some physical ailments. Um, you've been in and out of the hospital. You've had mm-hmm. some major health issues going on that kind of came out of nowhere. And at the same time, our dear friend and your publisher, <laughs> Lynette Pottle, has also been down and sick. And I was telling both of you beforehand that like, wow, this book must be some kind of powerful <laughs> magic that's about to release to the world because you know, the enemy is afoot trying to stop it from stop you and stop Lynette from, from doing this, which is so hysterical because it's like, get out of the way. These ladies, Becky is doing it. You know, you may be doing it from a hospital bed, but you're doing it. And Lynette even gave you an option to, um, to, Hey, we we can push the book launch back a month, you know, mm-hmm. like nope, nobody, you were on your own book launch time schedule because you have such a good, good working relationship with her. And she gave you that out and you said, no, tell us a little bit about what the last month has been like leading up to the launch of this book, dealing with all that you had to deal with. Yeah, it actually started February 13th and I uh, developed a fever of 104.5. I've never had such a high fever in my life. I was here at home alone and I could not get out of bed. I remember laying there thinking I need to call my oldest daughter and remind her where my important papers are. I really didn't think I was going to make it, but I couldn't reach for the phone. And I laid there um, for two or three days. didn't eat. I mean, it was just, I can barely remember it. And finally um, uh, my roommate came home and, you know, discovered how I was. And she began trying to take care. Oh, I had a virtual appointment with the doctor and they said, Oh, it sounds like the flu gave me all the medicine. I took it faithfully. And it just brought my temperature down a couple of degrees. Eight days into it, mm-hmm. one of my kids found out. Uh, they all live in, in other cities and said, you need to go to the emergency room now. And, I, and my son, and he's a doctor, and he's saying this to me. And I said, I am not going to go to the emergency room at night and sit in that waiting room for five hours, not doing it. I'll go first thing in the morning. And the next morning I went 
And they ended up transporting me uh, by ambulance to another hospital uh, because they said you have, I had pneumonia, but they said I had what's called a pleural effusion, which meant that I, this large sack of pus, for lack of a better word, had <laughs> accumulated between my lungs and the chest cavity and the antibiotics weren't, uh, wasn't touching it. And so I needed to be where a thoracic sur a surgeon was. So I ended up uh, going to this other hospital and spending 10 days in the hospital having major surgery. And um, it's just a blur. Uh, they had me on so many different antibiotics. And every time I would cough or sneeze or clear my throat, it felt like electric shock in my ribs because it did mm. nerve damage. And so then I came home and I've been recuperating at home for a month. I've missed two months of work. So Lynette, bless her heart, she began, I was in the middle of recruit, had just started recruiting a launch team for the book. Mm -hmm. And she took over the heavy lifting for that. And people just a lot of light beamers, people <laughs> responded just incredibly to wanting to be a part of the launch team, because she asked me about delaying the book. And I just in my gut, I just did not see that as an option. I thought it's got to happen April 4th, I'm, I'm going to be ready. I, that was a month ago. And I just felt like I'm, I'm just we're going to do it. I, I cannot, I've worked too hard for this to put it off. Your resilient and nature is on display. I'm telling you, I love it, had, it. it had to kick in. And so I have a real hard time praying to God about things that I specifically want. You know, I tend to go, if it's your will, you know, if you think I should have it, I began to pray because this, this electric shock feeling in my ribs was extremely debilitating. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was the main reason I couldn't leave home for a month. And I just began to pray that God would heal those nerves. And three days ago, I sneezed. And for the first time in two months, it, it didn't feel like I was being shocked mm. when I sneezed. Because usually I would, you know, sneeze and then scream in pain and then start crying. It was this whole thing. Um, and I just feel like I'm, I'm with you. I'm a strong believer in spiritual warfare. And I think the enemy does not want this book to come out. Mm -hmm. um, and yet that's all the more reason I want it to come out. Because yeah. if there's somebody waiting for this book. I just know it. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that's what, I mean, just like I said, from my vantage point and having a little bit of this inside knowledge and watching kind of what's unfolded over the last few months and how you and Lynette have rallied and, you know, and how many of your friends and your circle of people, and of course, a lot of those are light beamers have rallied with you and for you and just the, the, the messages that are already getting out about this book I've shared on my social media and will continue to, of course, I've called you and it's like, well, we got to do a podcast. You know, we're going to, we're going to get this book out. We're yeah. going to get this book out because there are people that need to read it. There are women specifically that are hurting, that are lost, that are maybe married to their job. And they feel like that's all that they, that they really are here to do. And they haven't been able to zoom out and really see what their gifts are and lean into those gifts more and to just find themselves, you know, that word, that, that title come home to you. So good. Come back home to you. So good. Because it's like, you got to go back to who you are and who you've been all along, you know, yeah. and as women, as women, we tend to give and give and serve, mm -hmm. and serve and do and do to the point of depletion. Yes. And I think about, you know, one of the most, um, important um, major life transitions for many women is that empty nest. There's a reason why it's called a syndrome. It's a big <laughs> deal. It is a very big deal. And, you know, I have four children and, and it was a different experience when each one left, 
Um, and I know you're facing mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I am, I am staring down the barrel of that one. And we tend to prematurely begin to grieve it. Yes, right? I think I have. <laughs> yeah. And then not knowing to do with our, what to do with ourselves when it's happened. And then the other part of it that is so uh, challenging to navigate is who am I as a mother? Mm-hmm. They don't need me to do what I was doing before. They don't want yes. me to do it. They're not here for me to do it. How do I mother them? Yes. Uh, oh, that's that- such a question I'm asking right now, Becky. It, you just nailed it. Like that is it. I'm like, wow. Like he doesn't need me to make him a sandwich anymore. He doesn't need me to take care of something at school. He doesn't need me. Even he, he got really injured recently um, he, by, by way I, I, of, that I don't know. Like he hasn't uh-huh. even told me how it happened. Right. But he was very injured and banged up. And so we were having to doctor him, his skin, his elbows, his, his shoulders, his knees, everything with some, with some medication. And even that, like after a couple of days of it, he's like, I got it, mom. Like he didn't even want me touching him, you know, like, um, and so it's just like, oh, wow, like this is not going to be how it looks anymore. And that exact question has really been running through my brain. And I don't know the answer to it. I don't know how to mother a child in their twenties, because I've never had a child in their twenties before, you know, he's 17 right now, but it's coming so fast. He's Mr. Independent. So, which I'm really glad about. I raised him to be independent. I'm very independent. So I wanted to raise very independent children, but man, does that come back and, and kind of come back in your face a little bit sooner than you expect. And so I'm, I agree that, I mean, you, you just named mine right there. That's something I am navigating and that's going to be a big next chapter for me. And my husband. Yeah. And I talk about that in the book because I do think that empty nest syndrome is, it's a very big deal. And these things you just described have, have what they've pointed out to me is what a good job you did teaching him to become independent. He's showing you, you did. I know. I know that. Yeah. You got to figure out how to deal with that. You I do. I go away from those experiences going, Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be thankful that he knows how to do that. Or that he's like, I got that, you know, because yes. I did, I really want them to be self-sufficient and be independent and, you know, and also know that it's okay and practice asking for help too, which I suck at, you know, because I'm super independent yeah. And so it's like, how do you teach that thing too? You know, so it's such a balance. It's such a trick. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's going to be an interesting few years for sure. As yeah. not only he goes out, but I navigate that my husband navigates that and we continue to, to parent a child that's still at home, you know, so. Who's having to learn how to be an only child. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So exactly. It's, it's, and how many years difference between Dallas and Isabella? There's three, almost okay. three years. Yeah. So just about the time you get comfortable figure it, it out then she'll be she'll be flying the coop exactly yeah yeah <laughs> but that's so, why I, I'm so glad that you're talking about this because you know to your point we we go through these transitions at various stages throughout our life and so while you wrote the book for someone who's lived a bit a little bit of life to your point that could be someone that's 18 years old that's been through some serious trauma in their childhood so that they've lived a little bit of life, even though they're younger. Um, It can be navigating your 20s and living out on your own for the first time. It could be, you know, having children and starting a family and trying to navigate, you know, getting along with other people and living into this family life. And, you know, I remember that as when I got married, it was like, oh man, this is a whole different ballgame because now I'm 
I have this other human, this man that I'm married to that I can't just do it my way. Cause I was so used to doing that, you know, and now like me, where I'm at this, you know, soon to be different stage of my life where kids are out of the house to where, like where you were, um, just a few years ago when your parents died, you know, I've already had, I've already lost one parent holding on to dear life to the other one, you know, and, um, those are big changes. Those are big changes. You know, certainly people that go through divorce, go through serious illness, cancer diagnosis. There's just, there's just endless opportunities to look at these big transitions in our life and navigate them in a good, healthy way versus just letting them railroad us and put us, put us down for the count. And, you know, I was talking, you and I share a good friend of ours and you know him well, and um, he's in light beamers, Dane, Dane Boyle. And we were talking the other day about, you know, he said, I just want to help people not give up, you know? And I think there's, there's a, there's kind of a line in the sand that as we, as we've had enough life lived and life punching us in the face a little bit, I think there comes a point, and this is what Dane was saying, that when you've had enough hits, that some people cross over that invisible line that we can't really see, and they just literally give up. They just say, I have had enough, and I can't fight anymore. And I think that's where we find some of these women who don't know who they are, and they've been railroaded by life some, you know, like they, they've had a few hits to the face. But until you get grounded, that's why I think it's so important to, to do this work so that you are standing on firm ground. And like you, you develop that resiliency and you just say, no, 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 I'm God's not done with me yet. And so you keep going, you know, so I'm really yeah. excited about this. You know, that there's a chapter, um, that I call know your value, know your worth. And at first I was going to call it something to have to do with self-care. But being the curious person that I am, I began to talk to people about what does self-care mean to you? And I remember one woman just immediately getting, you know, almost mad. And she goes, I am so sick of women talking about self-care, me time, and I'm going to do this for me and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're supposed to care for our families first and everything. And I realized that that expression means different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And so as I thought about, again, getting back to who God created us to be, I thought there's so many facets of me that I need to take care of. There's the physical me, there's the mental me, there's the social me, the emotional me, there's the spiritual me. Do I take care of each one of those things? And to what degree do I ignore some of those? Some of us ignore our physical health. Some of us ignore our spirituality. I mean, all kinds of things. And so if I really knew, if I really understood how God created me and how he values me, would I take better care of myself? Mm -hmm. You know, the way I take care of my children because I value them. Why don't I take care of myself that way? Mm -hmm. So that grounding that you're talking about is really important is getting back to basics mm -hmm. of taking care of myself because a, a rejuvenated me has a whole lot more to give than a depleted me. Yeah. And yet we just give and give and serve and serve and do and do because out of duty or because out of love or because it's expected of us or whatever the reason is, but we just, or we want to be liked or, you know, whatever the reason, but not taking the time to realize first, I've got to take care of myself so that I have something to give um, or that I can serve others. And so 
um, I, I think that's really hard in particular for women. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And why it's so important to do the work, you know, they call it the work capital T capital yep. W the the work. work. It's called the work and it's a real thing. And we all have to go on it, you know, in order to really live thriving, successful lives. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know this week, you know, this week in particular is your book launch and the book will be out in just a couple of days. And soon I'm going to be calling you and congratulating you on your number one bestseller status, probably number one international bestseller status. Cause I know we've got some international pool and um, we're going to make it happen. And I can't wait. How are you going to celebrate? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I um, probably will go see all of my kids and grandkids. I have 17 grandkids and um, yeah, I'll have to travel somewhere. I'm, I'm, I love to travel. So I'll have to go somewhere uh, to celebrate, but I'll mostly just sit there and go, I cannot believe this is happening. Just can't. I, I still do that. You know, when I look at the book, uh, I just can't believe it. Uh, because when you've worked for something so long, I, I started this in May of last year. Um, and I never understood why it takes a year uh, <laughs> to write a book until we did Elevate Your Voice. But it's even more so when I'm the one doing the whole thing, the whole book rather than just the a whole chapter. book. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll get back to you on that. I don't know. Well, you need to, you need to think about that. You know? I do you need to do something special for yourself. Even if you can't travel right away to see your kids, I know that'll be like priority number one, but yeah. you know, even just that day, like, you know, think about that day. Like, how do you want to wake up? How do you want to, where do you want to eat lunch? Like, who do you want to be with? Do you want to be by yourself? Do you want to be with some of your girlfriends that have walked this journey with you? You know, do you want to take yourself out to a really nice dinner I have a friend that's already you want said, to, what outfit do you want to wear? Like what's a really like yummy outfit that makes you feel really good? Oh, I didn't you know, do that. Is there a I lipstick that you only wear on special occasions? Are you going to wear that lipstick that day? Like these are the things, you know, yeah. to like really treat yourself because it's a big deal. It's a big, hairy deal. It's, I have not written my own book yet. And I say yet, cause I will, you will. You I will. will. And I know that I will. But just again, having done this, you know, with our collaborative books and now ushering in our third book as we speak and, and seeing all that it's done for the women of our author community and now seeing what it's done for you, that it's just, it opened a portal and a gateway for you to walk through. And now you've, you've entered a whole nother gateway and portal by doing it. And I'm just so, so proud of you. I just want you to drip in extravagant luxury and celebration on the day that the book launches because you deserve it. You really, well, really deserve it. Thank you. I do have a friend that's bringing me tacos Tuesday night because, you know, we're Texan. So taco yeah. Tuesday, man. Um, but no, you know, April, um, the work that you do is so important because I go, as I do a personal reflection on the last three years, um, it all started with that first storytelling symposium I attended here in Dallas and met you and heard your message and have been working with you ever since and so got me to writing a chapter in a book became a part of your speakeasy program and so I've been getting speaking engagements now I'm writing my own book and so the work that you do really matters mm. it, it changes lives it has certainly changed mine and I'm so so deeply grateful um, for everything that you continue to teach 
but also the way you support uh, me and each one of us in, in our endeavors and, and celebrate with us. So thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank mm -hmm. you for being with me today. Thank you for sharing all of this on your favorite podcast. It <laughs> so, is so perfect. The inside story podcast. I'm just right. um, so thrilled that I get to share you with more people and to celebrate your book and I uh, cannot wait to read it. Of course, I'm waiting to buy my copy on your launch day to support this book launch. Um, if you all are listening to the podcast, literally in real time, when it launches, um, this episode launches on April what's Wednesday, fifth. April 5th, 4th, fifth. Uh -huh. fifth. April 5th, your book is coming out on the 4th, but this podcast yes. will go live on April 5th. If you are listening to this anywhere near that, you need to rush over to Amazon and support this book launch this week. Um, if you're here listening far after this book launch is over, you definitely want to go over to Amazon and grab your coffee copy because you've been missing out. You didn't know about it. Now you do. Yeah. And you need to go and see what amazing things that Miss Becky is up to since this book launch. And I know that you have a website where you will be directing people to, um, they can learn more about your leadership work and your coaching. Um, you also do a lot of leadership training inside um, women's ministry and things of that nature, mm -hmm. but you both work in inside ministry and in secular organizations and with people um, in general. So uh, BeckyBurrows.com, is that correct? Yes, it is. BeckyBurrows.com. We will link that up. And of course, we will link a direct link over to Amazon in the show notes so that you don't even have to do a search. You just click on the link in the show notes. If you're listening and you don't know where to find the show notes, go to lightbeamers.com slash podcast and look for this episode. Um, and you will, you'll find it. You'll find the show notes there where we can link up all the things to Becky. And of course her book, her book is called come back home to you navigating life's transitions and embrace next chapter living. Go get it today. Thank you, Becky Burroughs for being my guest and everyone have an amazing week. And like Becky does so well now, go and share your story. Go and share your story. It is the light that others need to hear. I'll see you soon. See you next week. Bye everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. 
As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.